Welcome to So You Want to Be a Witch, the podcast for soul-centered entrepreneurs and the people who love them. Welcome back to So You Want to Be a Witch, the podcast for soul-centered entrepreneurs and the people who love them. I'm your host, Sarah M. Chappell, and today we're going to talk a little bit about how I create new ideas in my business and how I create new work. This is a question I get asked a lot. There's usually a couple different variations, but something along the lines of how do I know what to make next or how do I know what offer to make? And then how do you come up with new ideas, right? How do you know you want to create a course or a program or this or that? And I thought we could talk about that today, both conceptually and then also practically. I always get a lot of feedback from y'all when I share kind of my tech setups and my, my productivity tools. And while I'm kind of cognizant of how the obsession with the tool can sometimes get in the way of actually doing the work that the tool is supposed to facilitate, as a, as a gearhead myself, I am always super happy to talk about the, the tech and, and processes aspects as well. So to start, I want to kind of talk about what I mean by create new ideas. Um, this is a conceptual thing that I think is really important in that I have a belief about ideas, which is that there are no such things really as new ideas. I view this for two reasons. One, it helps with the ego, right? I don't find it particularly healthy for me to think that I have invented something completely new. <laughs> it's also helpful because it puts us in a consciousness of being aware of our influences and in a... I mean, there are a lot of threads here. I'm actually working on an, art or not an article, but some thoughts on this right now. But kind of the, the obsession that we have with um, protecting our ideas, protecting our intellectual property, which I'm totally for, by the way. I, I believe that that's really important. As Catherine uh, DeVos Divine, I think calls it like stewarding it, I think is the word that she's used. She's a great lawyer. Um, if you're listening to this, hi, Catherine, I love you. Um, intellectual property expert, um, stewarding ideas, but that especially online, we start to see this really interesting thing where because um, information is happening so quickly, people often jump to conclusions that ideas have been stolen. And, and I think that this really stems from the fear of, um, I mean, sometimes they have been stolen, to be fair, and I, I went through that recently, but there's a real fear culturally that if our idea isn't brand new, if it isn't good enough, if it isn't completely unique and has never been seen before, and if we're not able to protect it as such, that we won't be compensated for it. And this seems to me to be a kind of a uniquely capitalistic perspective. And, and I mean that through the survival sense, right? That if you're somebody who is, you know, I learned the term from Cal Newport of knowledge worker. Cal did not come up with it, though. Um, Peter, Peter, someone did. I can't remember. If you send me a message on DM, uh, DM me on Instagram, and I will find that for you. I'm trying to see, trying to give my saying trying to give credit, what I did instead, I'm going to model this for you, is I went and looked at one of the tools that I use that we're going to talk about today to figure out where I learned that from. And I, and I learned it from Cal Newport, who is quoting Peter Drucker. <laughs> there we go. That's the guy when using that term, uh, this idea of a knowledge worker, right? Which a lot of you are. If you're making content, if you are creating courses and programs, if you're coaching people, likely you're doing some version of knowledge work was essentially, you know, thinking thought-based labor. So there can be a lot of kind of fear around ideas in, in a culture and, and, and an economic system where not being able to prove that it is your idea, you know, potentially you'll be losing income. And while, yes, there are definitely situations where ideas are, are stolen, and I, I totally, I, I enforce my intellectual property rights, and I encourage you to do so as well. But I also conceptually find it more supportive to, to put myself and situate myself in a communal understanding 
of saying that any ideas I have are probably not unique. They might be unique in that they are coming through my voice, but they are formed and shaped by other ideas, right? New ideas, all they are, are the, I mean, again, new being a tenuous term here, is the rearrangement of existing ideas, right? And we see this when we start to look at, you know, how thought has occurred over time. And there, there's a feeling of building blocks, right? Of, of things building on top of different foundations or moving foundations over and seeing what's underneath or breaking the foundation and seeing what happens. Thinking is much more, even though it's extremely creative, new ideas are, are much more close to a, a scientific method almost in, in that even though they can be extremely intuitive, they are essentially hypotheses built off of things that we already know, right? Here's what we know. Here's what we think will happen. What happens when we put these pieces that we know together? Ah, is it a new idea? Is it an existing idea? Did it not work at all? Did it go nowhere? And that, for me personally, relieves some of the stress about trying to be original and unique, because I find the more I try to be original and unique, the less I am. <laughs> the stress of trying to create something new tends to get in the way of actually new creation. However, it's my job to create new things. And it's probably your job on some level as well to create something new, or at least with your, your air on it, the scent of you <laughs> on it. How we can start to build these ideas consciously, conceptually, again, step one, I say there are no such thing as new ideas. And I try to do that to, to really embed myself in a culture of referencing and referring and understanding where I learn things from to the best of my ability. And I say that too with the consciousness that with how much media we take in, especially through social media and newsletters and emails and the news and everything, sometimes we miss things, right? So I operate also from the perspective of, of grace uh, in terms of like, say, assuming that somebody didn't intend to do harm. And I hope that people will give me the same response. Sometimes we, we don't remember where we learned something from. But it's our job to try. And it's our job to try to make sure that what we are stemming from that is something new. So conceptually, I don't believe in new ideas, but it's also my job to do new things. So then we get this really fantastic, nuanced, interesting uh, push-pull <laughs> between what I believe and what I do. And I think the second piece when we're starting to look at, at creating new work specifically is that there's two conceptual perspectives to approach them from. One is essentially the, the uh, bottom-up style or the top-down style. And I've definitely heard those words used many times before, but I think most recently it's probably from the Zettelkasten community that I've heard that kind of language used. So we'll link up some resources there in the show notes. There's a book that I've read some excerpts from um, on how to take a good note that we can link up as well. But the idea of something being bottom up or top down, it's not exclusive to this community, but that's probably where I most recently have, have heard of this and that's what's coming to mind. So again, I will give them credit. Zettelkasten is a German style of note taking that came from a German sociologist mid-century um, who used index cards to keep track of ideas. It's kind of fascinating and definitely underpins and kind of formalized something that I'd already been doing um, and now have kind of a name and, and external structure for. So bottom up, looks like starting with, with ideas and information and letting them be bubble into something new, right? We're starting with like the materials of the thing, what we have and what we've gathered, and we see what emerges. Right? This is not dissimilar if you're familiar with Adrian Marie Brown's emergent strategy, right? So instead of it being a top-down hierarchical 
approach, it is what comes out of these things coming together, what comes out of these things. Uh, Nick uh, Milo calls it colliding, which I think is a really cool way to think about it, right? This idea, this idea, this concept, this piece of information, this thing colliding. This is bottom-up strategy. And the second way is the top-down strategy, which is often recognizing that there's something that you need or that your customers need or that you see a hole, and in the context of creating something for your business, where you're just gonna get a hole in the marketplace, you've probably heard that phrase, people saying, oh, there's no one doing this thing. I don't see this thing here. I don't see this need being filled. I don't see this service being provided. Top down is then trying to create the ideas based off of that, essentially that end outcome that you are perceiving a need for. And both of these are really valuable. I think that a lot of folks kind of get stuck in a, the middle in a way that actually reduces the creation of ideas. These are kind of jumping back before, back and forth between the two, and it makes it hard to create focus in what you're making. If we are kind of like, oh, I saw some cool stuff about this, and I think this is what needed, and we're trying to kind of jam them bottom up and top down into each other, often we get nowhere. And that's a place where I think a lot of um, people that I work with kind of get stuck when they're thinking about what offers they want to make, what products they want to create, is that they're trying to do both of those things at once. In my experience, doing them separately works best. And essentially, I don't even think of them as being the same process. I think of them as being two distinct ways of building things. So when it comes to business, top-down is often one of the most powerful ways to build something because essentially what you're doing is looking at the world around you, you're receiving feedback from your existing customers, from what you see on social media, what people are talking about, what they're interested in, the problems and challenges that your customers have, and you are creating something to solve that problem. You are answering an existing issue, you are filling an existing hole in, in the marketplace. And that is a really powerful way to create new products and services because theoretically, if they're filling a hole in the marketplace, it means that people actually need them. And one of the big mistakes that a lot of business owners make, especially at the beginning, is making stuff for sale that actually people don't want. And um, that can feel a little harsh. <laughs> and I think most of us probably have to go through that experience of making things that people don't want before we kind of get on board with making what people do want. You know, keeping in mind that not everything you love needs to be monetized. Not every idea you have needs to be part of your business. You are allowed to have other parts of your life where you do things that you love. That, that can kind of help us to kind of smooth that wound. But often we'll start making something because like, I think this is so cool, so I'm going to make it. And then no one buys it. And especially because it stemmed from that place of our passion, our desire, it, feels, it hurts a lot when people don't understand it, don't get it, don't invest in it. The second piece, though, is that when we start from this top down, we're usually starting again from an existing need. So I'll break down what this looks like in just a minute in a more practical sense, but just keep in mind, okay, existing need is essentially you uh, say you have sessions with people and they're always asking this one question, or this kind of theme of questions emerges in your sessions, or this theme of questions you see when people are asking about your products or asking about your services. Hey, do you make something like this? Then that is, that is this top down. You're like, oh, right. People are asking me. Do I have a pattern for knit underwear? I feel like I talk about knitting and then underwear a lot on this show. Interesting. I guess it's pandemic stuff, right? <laughs> knit underwear, right? Do you have a pattern for knit underwear? And you're like, no, I don't. I don't. People keep asking me, okay, cool. I'm going to make a pattern for knit underwear. There's a demand for it. People are literally saying they want this thing. Um, that's where a lot of my 
my business coaching kind of uh, workshops have come from. They're ideas I have, yes, but they're ideas that are responsive. They're ideas that are coming out of um, what people are saying. So the Scalable Offer Workshop, for example, which has been a huge success for us in the past year. We have another one coming up soon. You can send me a DM on Instagram. I'll get you on the wait list for that. That workshop emerged from people asking questions that I needed to, I was like, oh, I can answer that. I can create a workshop that answers these questions or gives people the next step, gets them closer to that goal, uh, teaches them how to essentially make sure people want something before they buy it. That's what we do with a scalable offer workshop. That's kind of what I'm talking about now, right? This top-down thing. But the second is this more emergent, bottom-up, ideas-colliding concept. And this is, I think, extremely potent and powerful for us as humans and I think as business owners, it is kind of level two, <laughs> because if we're going to let ideas collide into something new, we are not getting that benefit of it being an external demand for a product or a service. This is more intuitively led. And I think often it feels more natural to us in some ways, though it also can be more complicated because we don't know where we're going. We're not building with a direction in mind. We're really letting letting our assumptions fall away and letting the ideas create something new, there's a greater risk that it's not going to be something people want. And we have to be okay with that. One of the places that I allow myself to really play with that more is is in writing, is in workshops, which are lower key for us. If we do those, they don't require as much um, kind of effort and is in the podcast here. I see what you guys respond to here in social media posts. I test those ideas before I make commitments to making them into like products or services. So the emergent idea then, the, the bottom up, is letting ideas interplay and see what newness they create, right? And the key here is that it, it, it doesn't work really well if we have an agenda, because usually when we have an agenda, we'll start forcing pieces to fit the agenda. You know, this is some of the bias that often comes into any form of research that people might see, right? This human bias element can be because we have assumptions about what we want things to look like. So we end up consciously and unconsciously trying to twist and turn the data, the information to to fit the outcome that we think it should have, to fit the direction we think it should go. So and that's why I kind of like say it's like business 2.0 is doing this because in some ways it's harder work and the risk is higher, but it's also extremely fascinating and weird, fun stuff comes up, like weird stuff emerges, things that you wouldn't have thought of before. I think that's probably when we get closer to originality, uh, again, something I don't really believe in per se, um, but understand, you know, the desire for it. We get closer to originality when we are approaching things through this colliding nature of ideas. So we have these two different concepts, right? How do I know what to make next? Well, you can let ideas collide or you can essentially go top down and answer a question, solve a problem. In general, y'all, I recommend doing the latter. I recommend top-down for business, especially in the beginning, and especially if you're at a place where you need, I mean, this is true of all businesses, but where you you do need to be creating revenue and you don't have that consistent yet. That's not to say we can't play and explore in our businesses, but if your financial needs are not being met, then top-down is more likely to get you um, a, a financially lucrative result. And once you have kind of an established business and you have a little bit more room to play, then we can do some of these bottom-up things. At least that's my, my perspective. You, of course, do as you will. But I found, you know, for us that I did, started doing a lot of top-down stuff a couple years ago, and that really made a difference in terms of um, our revenue, our ability to help people, and my ability to create content and concepts that actually answered people's problems rather than like what I thought people needed. 
if that helps to get that ego bit out of it as well. So what does this look, what does this look like in practice? From a purely technical standpoint, you need a place to capture ideas. Okay, I know that sounds really basic, but I talk to a lot of you, and I know a lot of you, and I see you all, and I also know myself. <laughs> I know as, as multi-passionate, creative, curious, um, you know, interested people. And you probably have a place where you keep ideas. You probably have many places where you keep ideas. Let me know right now, how many notebooks do you have? How many? Yeah, I know. I know. I'm sorry. How many notebooks? How many notepads? How many apps? How many are you using Google Docs and using Word and using, like, right? How many different places are you doing things? This is not a productivity lecture, so I'm not going to get too deep into it. Suffice it to say, having things in multiple places reduces the chance that your ideas will emerge. It also, frankly, is a waste of time. And as a compulsive app tester, I I really feel this. I'm also a stationary lover. So I'm like, give me all the different books and all the different pens and all the different notebooks and the different kinds of paper. Like, I really get it. If you're one of those people, I'm right there with you. But it gets in the way of ideas emerging and it gets in the way of creating new work because you can't find what you need. Remember, I don't know, 10 minutes ago when I couldn't remember the name of Peter Drucker? I was able to find Peter Drucker's name because I know exactly where I keep all information like that when I'm doing research for projects. Okay, so I'm going to talk to you about my tech setup in a second, but you need a place to capture ideas. Now, this can be a notebook for sure. It can be a handwritten notebook. You can also be your phone. A lot of people use whatever your notes app on your phone. Um, that one works really well. It's native. It comes with your phone. Um, that's on iOS. I'm sure Android has a notes app. For a long time, I actually just made myself drafts in my email for some reason. That was like, I had my email open all the time. So I was like, I have like 20 like or 30 drafts in my Gmail inbox that are notes that I've taken to myself. Um, so it doesn't need to be anything fancy, but you need a note capturing system. I've talked about something like the rocket book before. That can be really nice if you want to handwrite and do digital because you can write in the book and then scan it and send it to a Google Drive or send it to your email or, or something like that. I think it even connects with Trello if you use Trello as your project management software so that those ideas are captured. As much as I love writing by hand, I get a lot out of it personally and I do a lot of hand like written by hand things. I like to do a lot of my idea capturing um, digitally because it's easier to search. And that for me has become a huge, um, a huge boon to the methods that I'm using now is that I don't have to look through my notebooks to find things. So um, if you are somebody who prefers to handwrite, then you might want a step where you get something digital because being able to search is a game changer for finding new ideas. So we need an idea capture. And if you're doing, you're finding ideas on social media, for example, there are a few tools that can be really helpful. First of all, if you're on Instagram and you see something you actually like, screenshot it or save it. Use the little save button. Use that save button and give the person who you like, you know, the benefit of, of, enjoy, of getting a save on Instagram, right? The algorithm likes that. Save it, right? And the reason I like this is because that acts as a little bit of a library. So if you can't remember where something came from, you can go and look at your screenshots on your phone. Go and look at your Instagram saves or your Facebook saves and see if it's there. And if you start to create that habit, that becomes a place where kind of these like these proto ideas, they're not really ideas yet, but inspiration is saved. 
I also use an app called Instapaper. It has been around for a long time. Um, it's a free app uh, that you can have on your phone. You can also have it on your desktop. It has like a you know Chrome and I assume in a Safari um, plugin, and that allows you to save web pages. So a lot of times, if I see something interesting, especially if I've read it and I'm like, oh, I want to come back to this, or if it seems to like it pertains to a research project of mine, I will save it to Instapaper. I use the folder feature there to, if I'm working on a particular project so that things can be um, segmented. I do that on Instagram too. You can create folders for your saved posts. So I create folders. So that way it is easier for me to find that information later. So something like Instapaper works. There's a ton of different ones. Pocket is one. Um, there's a new one called MindMind, which is very, very slick and pretty. But ultimately Instapaper works fine for me. So I, I just have kept using that. And you need some way to capture the inputs. And I find online is actually the trickier part because often if we read a book, we remember we've picked it up. Like we'll either have the physical book lying around or if you have a Kindle or something, you can like, see, like it, it's easier to be like, oh yeah, I read that book. Even if you don't remember exactly where the thing is that you're looking for. I find with social media and the news and websites in particular, that's where we start to take in ideas in a, in a less conscious manner. We're really consuming content not consciously processing it. And that's, I think, when we start to um, regurgitate ideas that are not ours without, without conscious awareness. So having a way to capture that idea, capture that, that inspiration is really helpful. So once we've captured inspiration, then we need a way to work on our ideas, to work on the inspiration. And there's kind of a, a jump between finding something that you think is cool and then actually developing that into your own idea. And they talk about this in the book, How to Take Great Notes, um, which again, we'll link up in the show notes. Uh, I haven't read it in its entirety, so I'm not going to be like, this is not like a full endorsement, though I watched a lecture with the author, which was really cool. It really reminded me of what you, what I learned in school at some point, which is this idea of taking notes in your own language, right? So maintaining references, but ensuring that you're taking notes in your own language, which is two things. One, it helps you not plagiarize. But two, it also helps your brain to start to make sure you actually understand the concepts that you're taking out of it. So this is important. You know, if you're taking any class, whether you're intending to ideate from it or not, that you want to take notes in a way that your brain is starting to process the information. This is where the handwriting and handwritten note taking becomes really important if that's something you're able to do. Because um, there are studies that show that we retain more information when we write it down by hand. For those of you that are digital people, um, this is kind of a resource-heavy suggestion, but I did recently get a um, an iPad with an Apple Pencil, which honestly is one of the cooler toys I've ever had, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> um, I needed a backup for my laptop and decided to also get a toy at the same time. And because some of you may remember my laptop broke like several times this year and it was extremely stressful. So I, I didn't want to buy another computer, but I did get an iPad, uh, one of the new ones and the pencil, which is super cool. And so you can now with the Apple Pencil is like amazing. I think there are other stylus options, I'm sure that are, are not quite so pricey, um, that do a remarkable job of converting your handwriting into, um, into text. So that is something that I'm playing around with now using apps like GoodNotes, um, or even just writing natively into some of the apps I'll talk to you about in a moment. I just found out the other day that my Apple Pencil will actually like, I can handwrite in almost any app and it will turn it into text. So I get that benefit of the handwriting motion with the um, added benefit as well of it being searchable essentially and turns into text 
or with something like GoodNotes, it doesn't turn it into text, but the um, your handwritten words are run through OCR, which is a, a handwriting recognition um, so system. So you can still search your handwritten notes, which is pretty fucking cool. The future is now. Um, or like I mentioned before, something like the uh, Rocket Book, which is a really great, less expensive way to use that kind of system. So we want to take our notes, right, in, in our own language, ideally. Now, I say ideally because I'm going to be so super honest with y'all. I skip this step a lot. I wish I didn't, in the sense that I don't always process the inspiration. But that is, that is really the way to do it, is to create a processing step. And then the third step is the ideation phase, is starting to create connections between these things. And when we're doing an emergent version of this, this is where things get kind of cool and wacky and weird and where there are a whole bunch of new softwares that actually make this easier to do, which I'm super excited about. And if you follow me on Instagram, you've heard me talk about some of these before. So the third phase is when we start to actually put these ideas together and say, what is coming out of them? What am I seeing trends with? What am I taking notes about? A really low-tech way to do this, or comparatively low-tech, is just to look at what you've saved, right? Look at your Insta paper, look at your Instagram saves, look what you've taken notes about and just see what emerges. You can, I mean, this is how people did it for, you know, centuries, I guess. I don't think there was not a save button on the illuminated manuscript, right? People would be like, you You look and you see, okay, what, what have I been researching? What have I been reading? What is kind of coming up to the surface for me? And use that as a place to start with the new ideas. If you're doing a more focused top down, then likely your research is going to be geared towards that anyway. And I think the key here is to look for things that both affirm and then also challenge the assumptions that you're making and see how you want to reconcile those. And if you agree with the arguments or you can see validity in the arguments of the things that you don't necessarily agree with as well. For this step of the process, I have been using the app called Obsidian for several months now. Um, I think I started like over the holiday season. Uh, I spent a lot of my time off over the holidays doing app testing because I find it very soothing. I love Obsidian for a handful of reasons. So um, the website is obsidian.md. We will link that up in the show notes. And I love it because it is free. <laughs> um, there are paid tiers. I'm a paid supporter of the app. But for you to start to play around with it, especially if you um, have a business and you are the only person working in your business and there's no other full-time employees, it's free. If you do have um, other full-time employees, there is a yearly fee. It's like 50 bucks. It is extremely cheap to use it as a business owner who has a business with more than one employee. So for most of you, that won't be a factor. And if you do end up using it, throw them some cash. These developers are some of the best developers that I've seen. They're so responsive and super sweet. So Obsidian is essentially a markdown-based note-taking app that does a couple things really importantly. The first one, besides being free slash cheap, is that it stores everything in plain text files. Now, this is getting a little bit techy, but what that really means is that your files are not owned in a proprietary format of any kind. Well, I don't foresee a future where, you know, the internet like explodes and we, you know, are left only with plain text files. I have seen and I continue to see and have experienced myself, the challenge of moving from one proprietary platform to another. Um, so this makes it really easy. Plain text is like if you opened up like the text, like a text doc, like on your computer, text pad, notepad, often that is in 
plain text, right? And that's the extension .txt. Obsidian works in Markdown, which is a way of styling plain text, which is super fantastic. And you can do it, it's a very simple language, and you can do it without actually taking your fingers off the keyboard. So the point is that it's extremely streamlined and easy to write in, and I'm increasingly doing all of my thinking work in Markdown because there's not a lot of bells and whistles. It's not a lot of distractions. It's just like the, it's just the text. Like I've bought into the, the people who are like on team plain text markdown. If these words mean nothing to you, don't worry about it. If you get into, if you check out Obsidian, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. But the other thing that's super cool about Obsidian, well, first of all, because it's these files, it's actually just stored locally on your computer or on a cloud of your choosing. Um, it's not like on some weird third-party server, which I use tons of stuff that does that. But um, it's an advantage to have, have those notes in somewhere that you can easily access. And it is actually an app on your computer. They are doing beta testing for their mobile app right now. Um, and I'm doing the beta testing. The mobile app is, it is so good. And I mean, it still has bugs and it's still so good. The functionality is super high. So I'm going to go ahead and say, I don't know when they're going to release it to the public, but I'm really excited about the mobile app. They have Android and um, iOS that they're working on. So if you're somebody who needs that, I like this though, because most of my life is online, right? So much of my work is online. So to have something that's actually stored on my computer, <laughs> I don't have to be in a browser to do it. I love this. Um, I love that I can turn my internet off and work on my documents because everything else that we make in my business is online. It's in the cloud. So for some of you, you don't like this, right? My partner literally told me yesterday, he's like, I don't want to ever open up an app. I only want to be in browser. So keep that in mind. But for ideation, for thinking, for writing, I love not having to be online. I, I envision like, this like dream I have of like getting, I want to write a book. Hey, are you a book agent? Come talk to me. Um, and then like going and like renting a cabin in the woods outside of town and writing without the internet. So having something that is, you know, not connected to the internet is important to me. But the really cool thing about Obsidian, and then I'll talk about some other examples. And they don't, by the way, I, like, I'm not an affiliate for Obsidian. I wish, oh my God, if they had an affiliate program, I would be signed up like right now. I love it. But the really cool thing about Obsidian is this concept of backlinks or wiki links. So this is not new, but is something that we're seeing more and more in apps that are um, building what Tiago Forte calls a second brain, essentially a place where ideas and concepts are colliding outside of your head. And this is exactly what that Zettelkasten system that I mentioned earlier did using note cards. It's really wild. The idea here is that you can link in between these text documents in Obsidian, and the software will actually show you places where you have linked to. And it creates a graph so you can see connections between secondary and tertiary ideas that have been linked. It's a little hard to explain visually, but y'all are smart. You can go and Google it and find it out. But essentially, it also looks and says if you if there's the title of a a a, a um a note of a document and you haven't linked it and it's in the same file system, it'll also tell you. So it'll be like, oh, this, this document is mentioned over here. And what this starts to do is to naturally create relationships between your ideas. Y'all, it is so fucking wild. It is the coolest thing I've ever seen. Now, if you're like, okay, this whole markdown thing sounds kind of weird, or um, I use uh, a Chromebook, so I can't do something that's like, you know, computer-based, there are other options. There's a new one called Saga, um, S-A-G-A, that I played around with a little bit. That is free um, up to a certain point of data at this point. They're in beta still. It looks nice so far, though. Um, and then Roam, R-O-A-M, 
of the Rome cult, they like to call themselves, is another one. It's more expensive. It's only browser-based. People who love Rome love Rome, though. They really love Rome. So all of these apps are doing similar things. Um, I'd say the last one that has some similar functionality is called Bear, as in like the animal, but it doesn't really do the backlinking thing where it tells you what that how this page or this note has been mentioned in other places. But essentially, if you can envision, not quite a mind map per se, but a nodal connection system that starts to almost look like, so they call it a second brain, almost start to look like a neuron net, like a neuron system. That's what you start to create when you are creating links between things. So envision writing a note saying, oh, uh, here, Sarah's podcast this day, whatever this is going to be called. (laughs) Coming up with ideas, right? And you take some notes. You say, Sarah's talking about bottom-up, top-down ideas, mentions, emergent strategy by Adrian Marie Brown. And let's say you decide you want to make a link. You, you put, in this case, you put double brackets on either side of it. That's the technical side. Again, it's fast to learn. I won't get into it here. Emergent strategy. Now you have a note that you've created called emergent strategy. And you can take notes on that if you've read that book or read that book and take notes. And now those two things are linked. There's a connection in your system, not just in your brain, but in your actual note system between those two things. That means in the future, when you go and you are like looking at like how to, you know, ideas, <laughs> see you search for ideas. I mentioned earlier, searching is a really important part of this. You search for ideas and this comes up and then it reminds you of emergent strategy because you've already made that link. This way of working has always been possible, but now the technology is, and what's the best part is that it's such simple tech. This is not like fancy, it's not highfalutin, there's not, it's like, it is such a simple system comparatively to so many of the systems and softwares we use, it feels almost old school in a way. Um, and in that, it's not busy and it's not bells and whistles, it's very focused on this idea creation. It has caught up with how we naturally think. So now we can make connections that are non-linear, that are across, you know, ideas, across space and time, across disciplines. And this is super cool for the bottom-up method. So I use Obsidian. That's where I went to search just now to find Peter Drucker's name because I'd forgotten. And I use that to take in new ideas and take in new notes. And a lot of these notes are just like one or two sentences. The one for Peter Drucker like literally says, Peter Drucker, one of the founders of the idea of knowledge work mentioned by Cal Newport. <laughs> like that's literally what it says. So what I was trying to say to you, that's what that note says. It's not super developed. I haven't read a bunch of Peter Drucker's work. I'm not like, you know, looking into the critiques of the concept of knowledge work, just like, okay, that's where this came from. So this becomes a way of taking all those tiny bits of information, all those things in all the different notebooks and putting them in one place. Now, for me personally, Obsidian, Rome, these kinds of apps are not great for long-form writing. There are definitely people who do it, and I'll do some starting writing, but it's not, it's not great for long-form. What I do, I actually wrote an article this past week, and what I did was I created an Obsidian note, and I basically linked up all the stuff that I thought might be related to the topic for my article. Uh, it was an article on productivity uh, with an interesting weird slant that I don't want to spoil here. Um, hopefully it'll be published soon and I can share with you guys. Um, and I basically made an outline inside Obsidian using other notes I had already taken because this idea, this subject emerged from other, from what I had been researching. I didn't have an agenda for it. It came out of what I've been studying and researching. 
and I made an outline there and then I moved to a different app. So I do my long form writing in a different app and I started this process actually when I began, and this whole concept of what I'm talking about right now, when I began working on HBA 2.0 because the content was so expansive and I couldn't keep track of what I had covered and what I hadn't. And I found that something like Google Docs for me did not have enough organization. Um, and that's where I had been doing a lot of my writing. It did not have enough organization to keep track of, uh, of, of a core content that is, you know, many tens of thousands of words. So I was initially using um, Scrivener, which is very popular with uh, book writers. Um, I just this past week actually sh uh, switched to Ulysses, uh, which is really beautiful and is also in Markdown. Like, so I've really gotten to come to love to write in that language. Scrivener is just a regular rich text format, um, but it's also a very nice, it's a very nice writing app. Very good for people who like visual organization. Um, so I switched to Ulysses this past week. I like it a lot as well. It doesn't really make a difference. You can write in Word, you can write in pages. Um, you know, one of the advantages to something like a Ulysses or a Scrivener is that they're really designed for writing, not for designing, if that makes sense. Um, a lot of the word processors are really design-based rather than like the, like facilitating your best um, writing environment. If you're someone who gets really distracted, um, I've also used OM Writer, O-M Writer. I learned about that from Britton Boyd. Thank you, Britton. Um, which is really beautiful, has absolutely no formatting. It is just like a blank page <laughs> and some like soothing music. So that one's really fun. But then I move into writing mode in, a, in another app that is better suited to writing. But what this means is that I've essentially got my content input. My ideation is down to three steps that takes place in three different places in general, right? Step one, input, is generally going into Instapaper. Uh, sometimes it goes, it's PDFs, in which case I'll have that um, now on my iPad. But like basically like I have only like a couple of places to look for ideation. I'm not looking for the input in like 50 different notebooks and saved in a bunch of different places and bookmarked in this and that. I really like pick one place to be your primary. It's going to save your life. And then I have where I put my notes, where I do the thinking of my job. Um, so thinking about, okay, what does this mean? What does this look like? People ask me this question. What information do I have that can help me to answer that? And that's where the colliding of ideas emerges. Even if it is top down, even if it's something like someone asked me a fantastic question a few weeks ago, you know, how to create non-predatory sales funnels. And I was like, ooh, juicy. I could talk about that all day. What a great, what a great like idea to work on. That's something where I might actually like create a note that says non-predatory sales funnels and start pulling in different ideas. Okay, what is the definition of predatory? What do I know about what people think about sales? What have I researched previously? And start to build a note that is coming from somebody's question. And in that way, it is still emergent, um, even if I am starting from a top-down place. And then I move that into the actual content creation piece. Um, I think the last piece I want to say here, because this has gotten a little long and I got a little, got a little on my tech thing. I hope it's been helpful to hear what I'm using right now. Remember, the tools are tools are facilitators. So if you get overwhelmed by new tech or something, please don't worry about it. But if you're someone who's like looking to really refine your process, I'm I mean, Obsidian, I am all in on. I love it so much. Um, and then I am enjoying Ulysses a lot. I think Scrivener can work well, but I um I just had a problem with the sync feature. So I um I switched over to Ulysses and I'm enjoying that very much at the moment. Subject to change. <laughs> but Obsidian, I'm on that Instapaper I'm pretty committed to at this point. It's for a free app. It is so good. So 
The real point though, right, is this question is, what do I make? What do I do? What do I make next? How do I decide what to create? And we talked about this, right? Either being responsive to your environment or uh, emergent to the ideas that you're working on. And I think the thing I want to kind of leave you with is twofold. The first is to take this seriously. <laughs> um, I didn't for a long time. Not that I didn't take what I was creating seriously, but my role as someone who has to actually think of new things or quote unquote new, right? You already heard my rant on that, but who has to think of new ways of looking at things. I didn't take that as seriously as I should have. And what that meant was while I was creating work that I think was really was great and supportive and helpful for people, it wasn't really building either for me personally, but also for my students. And a couple years ago, when I started to take it a little bit more seriously, that shifted drastically. And then now I think this year in particular, I'm already starting to see with the new HBA and some of the other things that I have in the pipeline, how much more depth and and fascination and utility can emerge when I take this thinking part of my job seriously. And I'm going to encourage you to do the same with whatever it is that you're doing. Um, you know, if you like are an herbalist and you keep monographs, like how can you use your monographs to actually think? Um, you know, case studies are kind of built in thinking exercises, especially for, for wellness practitioners. Like how can you use that to, to branch out, to create and to keep a record of it so you know where you've been thinking and where you've been Whatever it is that you make, you know, you're probably always learning. And I think increasingly, I believe that's one of the most important parts of our jobs is not just the, that learning, but that processing and then emergent idea making that comes from it. The second piece is that when something emerges naturally or when it comes responsively, right? So instead of trying to force something, right? I think that's kind of when I was talking about that middle ground where we get stuck is when we're trying to force an idea and it's either not responsive to the to the external forces that are saying that they need this thing and it's not coming from our own ideas, that's where we get stuck. If it's emergent or responsive, then we can start to ask ourselves the questions of what does someone need to get the result? What does someone need to, to get this experience, to feel good about this investment, to feel you know excited about receiving this thing? And those questions based out of either emergence or responsiveness begin to, to create natural outlines for the work. And they create a, a way of approaching offers and services and products that isn't forced, actually. It's about answering questions, whether they're questions of curiosity of ours or questions that, that are coming from your customers. So that last phase, I mentioned I go to Ulysses and I start writing. Uh, for a lot of you, that won't be what you do. You don't need to write. Um, or, you know, for a long time, I didn't write out my courses beyond outlines, um, outlines which became slide decks. I actually have written most of new HBA, which is new for me, but is an exciting next step in my work to be even more kind of like grounded and, and, and firm in, in what we're sharing. Um, whatever that next step in the creation process is for you, once you've collided those ideas, and that's a very interesting kind of place to be. I, I realize I failed to mention, you can definitely put photos into something like Obsidian. So if for our visual people, don't stress. But if you are more of a visual ideation person, then um, think, there are a bunch of really great apps um, for stuff like that, like you know mind maps and all sorts of other things that you can do that are really fun. I also have a giant whiteboard, which is one of my favorite places to work things out like that. 
So I hope this has, has offered something to you, whether it's the concept of how to develop ideas, uh, how to create new work, and or just, you know, some of, some of our tech fun on what it looks like to actually produce new ideas and what tools I'm using to do that. But ultimately, I think what I'd like to leave you with is a level of respect for what you are doing. And, you know, even though we are in a culture that has a lot of knowledge work, a lot of content creation, a lot of making, a lot of creating, a lot of transmission of knowledge and technologies uh, of different kinds, and a lot of our commerce, especially after pandemic year one, in that first pandemic year, transition to knowledge-based work, right? Some of us were already here doing this, but I think that we've seen a massive increase. Uh, and even if you are a maker of physical products, by the way, I still I still include you in this because a lot of what you're doing is transmitting your knowledge about your work as well. That that's worthy of respect. <laughs> that that thinking, <laughs> that inventing new things or, or or new ways of doing things, like this is really important. And this is one of those skills, those muscles. You know, we we talked about in the energy reading for April that that stagnation, uh, that atrophy of the imagination. Um, this is a muscle that you get to build in your work actually all the time. And if this is a muscle you build in your work, this thinking, this creation process, what will that make possible for you outside of your work? Like as a human, as a human in your community, when you have the ability to synthesize information and create new things. Um, I think it's one of the most important things that we can do right now. And uh, I and I I'm kind of speaking from my more kind of like very like like intellectual research research based version of this, but it's not the only way that this looks. You know these these ideas emerge from from all sorts of things. From I mean I literally looked out my window earlier today and saw because it was frosted the beginnings of our mugwort patch. The leaves had kind of curled in, so all we could see was the the bottom, the silver bottom of the leaves. And I'm like, that is the beginning, like that is an, an idea starting point as well, right? So just to be clear, I'm not trying to enforce like a kind of like a pseudo-academic structure here that these ideas emerge from anywhere, but then it's like, well, how do we want to capture that silver? Is that a felt sense? And then where do we want to kind of store that memory? You know, poet snippets or notes too. <laughs> um, all right, y'all, I will see you next week. And um, if you do anything this week based off of this, it's not app testing. <laughs> that I'm asking you to do. What I'm asking you to do is to notice what information you are taking in and what you are doing with it. All right. I will see you next time. Bye for now. <laughs>